Welcome to the Ottawa University Chi Alpha Podcast. Welcome again uh, to our large group gathering, uh, at least that's what we call it. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it is Holy Week, by the way. Uh, Holy Week started last Sunday with Palm Sunday, and it ends this Sunday with Resurrection Sunday. Um, if you don't know the timeline of kind of what happened during this week, uh, you should look it up. You could Google it if you want to. Um, in fact, there's a lot of decent charts and stuff like that um, that you can look at. But we are going to sort of talk about a portion uh, of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, his crucifixion. Uh, but we're going to continue on with this thought that we started last week of alignment. Now, what's funny to me is that last week we talked about alignment, and I told you the story of my car um, that when I first bought it, just the steering wheel just went crazy because it wasn't aligned. Uh, it somehow, somehow it kept going straight line. I don't know how that works. Uh, but since then, I sold it. Uh, so in a week, sold the car. Cool. Uh, so, so here we are. But when you are out of alignment, you cannot, it's, it makes life more difficult. When you're out of alignment with the Creator, it makes your life more difficult. Now, this is absolutely not to say that when you're in alignment, your life is easy. There's a lot of belief, there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of thought that when you give your heart to Jesus or when you give your life to Jesus, just like that, your life is now easy. It's an easy road, there's going to be guardrails, God's going to keep you from sinning. He's going to change the way you think. He's going to change everything about you. Now, that could happen, and sometimes we see examples of that, but more often than not, it doesn't because it requires discipline. It requires us to do something. When your car's out of alignment, you have to take it to somebody, unless you know how to do all that nonsense, but you have to take it to somebody who can rotate your tires and balance it and align it and... See, I don't even know what it's called. So I'm up here just grasping at words trying to figure it out when a mechanic would be like, oh yeah, we have to do X, Y, and Z to it. So I don't even know. Now, as far as being in alignment with Christ, I do know this. It is difficult for us to know God when our ideas and experience dictate our expectations of who he should be. Our expectations of who God should be if they are not lined up biblically with what the gospel says, you will be out of alignment. This is why there are so many people walking around, even on this campus, who if you ask them if they were Christian, they'd be like, absolutely. But then they're also the angriest people you've ever met in your life. Or they're just not fun to be around. Um, you know those people. And maybe if you're like, I don't know any of those people, uh, we can show you a mirror later because it's probably you. Um, hopefully you know one or two of those people, and hopefully I didn't just offend you. Um, if I did, you were already angry anyway. But it is, <laughs> it is difficult for us to know God when our ideas and experience dictate our expectations of who he should be. Now, Bree and I do pre-marriage counseling, and we've been doing it, well, technically I've been licensed to do it for, since before we were married. Um, and I think in the first 10 years of marriage, I did like one couple of pre-marriage counseling. And then in the last three years, I think we've done like, there's a lot. 
Um, it's, it's been nuts. But part of what we do even in pre-marriage counseling is we talk about expectations of once you're married. And oftentimes, if you've never had those discussions, which only you two have, but um, if you've never had those discussions, you didn't realize, and, and maybe you don't, maybe this is earth-shattering news to you, when you get married, it is very likely that you and the person you get married to will have very different expectations of what marriage is going to look like. What? Have you ever done something where the expectations of whatever that was wasn't met? Maybe even coming here to this university and being on an athletic team and maybe not getting to start or not getting as much playing time as you thought or the team is, is they suck or whatever. Your expectation wasn't met and it almost lets you down and then you begin to question, was that the right decision? These, thing, these same things, these same principles, we project onto our view of who God is when we view him through our ideas and experiences, when they're not filtered through what the gospel says, what the word of God says, what the Bible says, when they're not filtered through that, then we have bad expectations and then we are out of alignment with God. So like I said earlier, when we assume or we think that following Jesus is just boom, my life's perfect. And then Two hours later, it's not. You're like, come on! What just happened? And you get angry at God. Now, there are awesome stories throughout Scripture of people whose expectations of who God was supposed to be wasn't met. And they're able to say, dude, what's going on? You should read those. Especially Job. It's a fun one. Because he has expectations of what God's supposed to do. And so he's like, for three chapters, is telling God, like, God, you screwed up on this one. And then for six chapters, God says, I think it's six. I could be wrong on that. Anywho, uh, one of the phrases that's used is, were you, were you there when I put the stars in motion? And it, it like starts off like that. And then God's like, hang on, I'm not done. You can sit there like a man and you can listen. And like, if... If you ever feel God, especially ladies, if you feel God saying this to you, um, but you, no, okay, sit there like a woman. Okay, uh, I don't know what that means. I need to be careful how I say that in this culture. Um, but sit there like, yeah, you know, but sit there like a man and you're going to listen. Like that's, be careful. You, you don't want to experience that. We, we have the book of Job so you can read that and go, oh, Maybe I shouldn't question these types of things. Um, if I do, it's okay, because God doesn't strike Job down or anything like that. But God audibly speaks to Job and says, okay, well, were, you, were you there when the trees came up out of the ground and whatever else? But we're going to look at a portion of Scripture where these people, a certain group of people, had very specific expectations on the Messiah. This is Holy Week. So Palm Sunday was this last Sunday. It's crazy what people do in a week. Absolutely crazy. Last Sunday, they were like, oh, Hosanna, he's the Messiah. How awesome is this? If you don't know the story, you should read it. But Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and people are like taking off their coats and laying them down on the street and taking palm branches and you know, basically calling him holy and praising him as the next coming king. That was Sunday. 
By Friday, he's hanging on a cross. Same crowd. Same crowd. Good times. But John 12, 9 through 13, talks about this wonderful crowd. As I read this, I want you to read it as though you're part of the crowd, okay? Because what's going on here has been going on for 2,000 years. What's going on here has been going on longer than that for thousands of years before Christ. But they have very specific expectations on who the Messiah was going to be and what he or she was going to do. So then we have this, we catch up to the story here. This is, this is happening Thursday, of, so tomorrow. This would have sort of be happening tomorrow, kind of, during Holy Week 2,000 years ago. A large crowd of Jews learned that he was there at Bethany, and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Again, that's kind of a cool thing. You can put that on your resume. If you raise somebody from the dead, you should put that on resume. Because then, yeah, anyway. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus also. Because on account of him, many Jews were going away from the teachings and traditions of the Jewish leaders and believing in Jesus, following him as a savior and the Messiah. The next day, when the large crowd who had come to the Passover feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and homage to him as king and went out to meet him. And they began shouting and and they began shouting and kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed, celebrated and praised is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So this is going on. This, is, this would have been Palm Sunday. Why is it called Palm Sunday? It's the palm branches. We can't think of anything more clever than that. And that's totally fine. Palm branches, Palm Sunday. Sounds good. Great. That's, that's what we're going to call it for the next however many thousands of years. But this is what's going on. This is going on less than seven days before Jesus is hung on the cross, because there are very specific ideas, expectations that this group of people, including not just the crowd, but also the chief priests, the religious leaders, all that stuff, they, they want to kill Jesus, and for funsies, they want to kill Lazarus too. But they have some amazing expectations. Here's, here's, I've got three of them, and this is not a comprehensive list, again, but this is just three of the expectations that they have. They are way out of alignment. Their thoughts, their, their ideas, their experiences that they've had have taken their alignment with who God is, and their expectations have caused them to go completely off course. Completely off course. So, first off, they believe that the Messiah came to overthrow the occupying government. Now, what's interesting about this one, before Jesus, they believed this because there were several other people who claimed to be the Messiah. You can read about them in Google. In Google? Sure. You can read about them on Google, um, but there are intertestamental books, which is stuff that was written between Micah and Matthew. Um, there's 400 years, by the way, between Micah and Matthew, the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. So the people still wrote things. Um, for 400 years, it wasn't just, eh, I don't want to write. Um, but and anyway, so we have other stories of people who claimed to be the Messiah. And so everybody that followed this person was like, okay, you're here to overthrow the government, whatever it may be, the occupying government, whatever government it is that isn't for you. I hope, as, as I continue to talk about this, you see some parallels in our world today. Uh, the Messiah came to make my life easier. 
clearly, duh, that's what the Messiah is for, to make my life easier. But they had expectations that the life would be easier. One, um, this particular group of people, one, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to kick the Roman government out of Jerusalem. We'll never see him again. He's going to establish his kingdom here, and we're going to kill everybody that is not Jewish or whatever, or an Israelite. We're going to get rid of them, and then our lives will be so much easier. Yes. I don't know if you've ever thought that or not. Or maybe you've been walking through stuff, or maybe you have walked through stuff, and in the middle of walking through that, you're like, dude, God, I've... I feel like I've served you faithfully for however many weeks, months, or years. And why, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friends? Why is this happening to my family? And those are legitimate concerns. And that's, that's okay. But you still need to keep asking those so that God can help you realign yourself with who he actually is and with right expectations. Otherwise, if we think this, that life's just going to be easier now that the Messiah is in my life, well, and then the third one is this, the Messiah will do whatever I tell or ask him to do. This is funny. Luckily for us, we have a God, as described in Exodus, who is long-suffering, or other translations, he is slow to anger, slow to get angry. You know, like I've read the, some of the stories in the Bible where it wasn't slow. Listen, when you read stories in the Bible, what you need to do is also look at the number of years that God's anger was slow. <laughs> there are times where it's generations after generations after generations where God ang God's anger was slow, but when it came, it was swift and harsh, which is good to remember because not only is God loving, but he is also just. And you cannot be loving without being just. You cannot truly love somebody without also being just. We can get into that some other time. I don't have that kind of time tonight. So I also wrote or rewrote this in statements um, that we could kind of help us identify the pride or whatever's going on in each of these thoughts. So the first one is this. I want Jesus to fix what I have rather than give me a new heart. Because here's the thing, 2,000 years ago, they didn't want to love the Romans. They didn't want Jesus to or any Messiah to come in and say, love your enemies. They did not want that. Absolutely not. They didn't want the Messiah to come in and say, hey, care for orphans and widows. Care for those who are disenfranchised. Help people who are less than you, who have less than you. They didn't want that. They're like, no, I don't, I don't really want a new heart. Uh, I would rather you fix the stuff that's going on the way I want you to do it. Not a great place to be. If you're there, though, like honestly, if you're there, it's okay. It's not okay to stay that way. All right? There's no shame in this conversation. Cool. All right. Um, my worship belongs to comfort rather than king. That one's tough especially in first world cultures, because we crave comfort. It was a balmy 86 degrees yesterday, and you better believe our air conditioner was on, because I really like 
being able to sleep in comfort. Uh, I grew up camping and like loving to be outside. And, and when I say camping, I mean a tent. You people that call RV camping camping, that's not camping. You have a hotel on wheels, whatever. Um, but when we think that the Messiah is coming only to make our life easier, we're actually worshiping comfort rather than king. I am worshiping the comfortableness of whatever it is rather than going, okay, God, whatever it is you have for me, let's do it. God might call you, some of you are like maybe even afraid, what if God calls me to be a missionary in some third world country? God's not going to call you to be some missionary in some third world country when you can't talk to the person that lives across the hall from you. He might still call you, but you need to find that person and talk to them first. No, please don't. Again, I've, I think I've said this a thousand times, but don't do the whole, have I told you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's not a great way to start a conversation. Um, or the, oh, I see your shirt is red. You know what else is red? The blood of Jesus. Uh, just, just go for it. Uh, that, that, those are all really corny and really cheesy and, and terrible and funny unless you use them on purpose in real life, then I'm going to come after you. All right, but believing that the Messiah came to make my life easier is us worshiping comfort rather than king. And the last one is actually the most difficult one. I don't like it at all, but the Messiah will do whatever I ask or tell him to. What it means is I use the Messiah instead of him using me. Don't like that. I don't like that at all. It's much easier in my brain, in our hearts, to ask God for stuff, to ask God for things, to ask God for comforts, to ask God for healings, to ask God for whatever it may be, for ask God for blessings, whatever these things that you may be asking for. This is not to say, please, this is not to say to stop asking. Now, if God tells you to stop asking or God is dealing with you in your heart right now, then stop. Absolutely stop. But this is not to bring shame on you asking for healing or asking for blessing or asking for whatever it is that you're asking for. But when all of your prayers is only whenever you're in crisis or you're asking for something, this is what's going on. I'm using the Messiah instead of allowing the Messiah to use me. What if in your prayers, even in the middle of you asking for whatever it is, it went from asking for whatever you needed to saying, God, use me in whatever way you see fit. Whatever way you want to use me, however you want to change me from my heart, from the inside out, however you want to change me, whatever you want to come out of my mouth, wherever you want my feet to go, wherever you want my hands to do, my eyes to see, my mouth to speak, my ears to hear, whatever you want, God, I am open to it and help me do your will. David prays that, King David prays that over and over and over again throughout the Psalms. God, help me to do the things that you asked me to do. God, make my heart want to do your will. Because oftentimes your head and your heart don't want to do the will of God. Let's be real here. They just don't. Before we get into prayer, I do have um, something that I want to read to you. I read it a few days ago. 
And it kind of messed me up that day. Um, I haven't shared it with anybody yet, which is fun. Um, but if you know Bree and I's story, if you know it relatively well at all, or if you like to read things, you probably know the name Dick Brogdon. Um, if you don't, that's totally fine. Dick Brogdon is the most um, stoic and kind person I've ever met. Um, he will also... Uh, you you will feel like you need to go out and preach to everybody the moment he talks. Like he's just he he is that convicting when he speaks. Um, the first time I ever heard him speak, which is by the way the reason that Bree and I are in Chi Alpha today, a youth conference in Springfield, Illinois, was in Chicago, Chicago-ish Peoria area, three thousand students. Um, Ren Collective, if you know who they are, were the, was the worship team that was leading worship. Dudes from Ireland. Uh, the guitar player on his, his arm here has a T-Rex chasing a Triceratops, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so they're a hype band. They're a lot of fun. And they're, everybody's going crazy, going out. And Dick Brogdon just comes out on the stage and stands just like this and stares through everybody. Not angrily, but then like the band walks off the stage and you just stand there staring and everybody's like, I think I should sit down now. So everybody just kind of walks back to their seats and sits down quietly, and it gets dead quiet. We're talking 3,000 teenagers. So that's Dick Brogdon. Um, but amazing guy. I actually got to meet him face-to-face a few years later uh, at a World Mission Summit in Texas. Um, but amazing guy. So this, however, is the first time I've ever heard from his wife. Uh, his wife wrote a, a one of the chapters in this book that I'm reading for a devotional. And she wrote this. I didn't put it up on the screen because I didn't want you to read it. I wanted you to hear it and hopefully feel it. Do you expect to surrender once in an air-conditioned church, kneeling on a carpeted altar with a handy box of Kleenex perkily waiting to be plucked? And then from that point on to sail without contrary winds into God's sheltered will? Or do you expect God to wring the self out of you in a painful, lengthy process using circumstances and shattered expectations and then surprise you with how good it feels to have his image stamped deeply onto yours? I wanted to move on. I wanted to flip the page. Like, that's stupid. I don't want to read that again. But that really, really got me. Because how often do we walk into Chi Alpha or FCA or whatever church you go to on Sunday, which you should be going to church on Sunday, get not just going to church, you should be getting involved with the body of Christ more than just here. But how often do we have our expectations on what we want dictate how we think God is going to move? I cannot tell you how many students I've talked to who when I, we get around to the conversation of walking with Christ, uh, if we get around to that conversation, and they tell me some story about some youth group that they went to in high school or some event they went to for a a college camp or a high school camp or something they did with the church back home 
and it was that one time where they raised their hand in an altar call or they did whatever. It's like, I'm good. I, I did this. If, and I know I've used this example before, but if the day Bree and I got married, if I'm standing at the altar and I repeat the vows and we look face to face and put a ring on it and all that other jazz, yeah, I did. Um, and then, you know, the whole, you may kiss the bride thing. And then I, we walk down the aisle and I'm like, cool, see you later. And that was, that was the last actual conversation I had with her. Now, if she, because obviously she's not, because she's already talking, but if she was so full of grace and mercy to allow me to do that for years on end, it wasn't going to happen. That's just not going to happen. But if she had that kind of mercy, if she had that kind of grace, everybody in this room would look at her and go, what the crap is your problem? Lose that deadbeat moron. Which she wouldn't because she would have killed me and buried me somewhere where you would have never found her years ago. <laughs> never found me. Um, and then she would have pretended to cry. One crocodile tear. Be like, oh, I don't know where he went. But if you treat your relationship with Christ that way, if we can, if we can look at an earthly relationship that is incredibly flawed... And we think, why in the world would you do that? And then you look at your relationship with Christ, where he is eternally perfect. And you're like, no, nah, one time was good. I don't really need to spend more time with him. That's using the Messiah rather than allowing him to use you. That's this, this concept that she was talking about. Jennifer Brogdon. I don't know why I forgot her last name when I was already talking about her husband. Anyway... Or do you, ex man, do you expect God to wring the self out of you in a painful and lengthy process using circumstances and shattered expectations? And then that sounds painful, but then the joy and then surprise you with how good it feels to have his image stamped deeply onto yours. Sheesh. Sheesh. I usually share the really good stuff with Joe the day of because we have our one-on-ones on Wednesday mornings. I did not share this with him. And I think it's funny because uh, he's, he's just sitting there going. Because everybody, anyway, before we, before we close in prayer, I want to read this again. We are going to, yeah. When, when I'm done reading this, I am going to turn some music on, um, have some time in prayer. Uh, if you would like, I don't know if it connected to mine or yours. It connected to mine. All right. If you would like to stay, pray. Awesome. If not, go do your homework. If you're just leaving to go watch Netflix, whatever. Uh, do you expect God? Or do you expect, sorry. Do you expect to surrender once in an air-conditioned church, kneeling on a carpeted altar with a handy box of Kleenex perkily waiting to be plucked, and from that point on to sail without contrary winds into the sheltered 
or into God's sheltered will? Or do you expect God to wring the self out of you in a painful and lengthy process using circumstances and shattered expectations? And then surprise you with how good it feels to have his image stamped deeply onto yours. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For you are a God who is good and kind. You are a God who chases us. God, I pray for everyone in this room this evening. God, I pray that we would be expecting and asking you to wring the self out of us. God, may we have your image stamped deeply onto ours. In Jesus' name, amen.